0: you, thank you. Um, One of our goals for next year is that we would like um, at least once a quarter, maybe a little more often, to have our children in church with us, only they're not just going to come and sit through the worship service. They're going to be our ushers. They're going to be our greeters. They're going to be our uh, picking up the offering. And here's what I know. When that that child looks at you with that offering plate, you're going to give, right? You're going to give? How are you going to say no to that face? Okay? Uh, yeah, so we just want to, we, we, we don't want them to think that they're just like an addendum to our church. They are our church, and they're part of our church, and we want to teach them, you know, and, and ha- have them worship with us. And we're going to do some things to help design that service to be all-inclusive for them. Um, you know, hey, I may even get one of them to preach. We'll see, but um, you never know what might happen. All right, let's uh, go to Acts chapter 20. Um, Acts chapter 20. Uh, as a pastor, um, one of the things that I have the privilege of doing is celebrating with families. You know, when someone, something good happens, uh, maybe you purchase your first home or you, your, you know, a child is born. All kinds of, um, you know, benchmarks in your life that you, you, you reach and, and there's just a time of celebration. Uh, but then the, the other side of that is as a pastor, I also spend a lot of time doing funerals. I spend a lot of time with people who are walking through valleys, maybe um, as this past week, as many of you know, Sherry Montgomery, her daughter Taylor, uh, was in a very, very serious accident and has gone through multiple surgeries. So please be in prayer for Taylor uh, as she's got a long road of recovery and and pray for Sherry. Uh, Sherry got out of the hospital on Sunday. This happened on Monday and then she took off uh, for Huntington, West Virginia which is where Taylor is, and um, Sherry also has Taylor's children, her grandchildren that live with her. So there's just a lot of logistics that got to be worked out. and so just just be in prayer for both Sherry and Taylor and, and that entire situation um, that God would just meet their needs. Um, and sometimes it's, you know it's, it's an issue of you, you're doing a funeral. I, I can't tell you how many funerals I have conducted over my 30 years of ministry. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, And one of the things uh, I've talked about before is that when you're in a cemetery and you're looking at headstones, and oftentimes, especially if it's an old cemetery, there's some very old headstones there. And and of course, there's always the date of somebody's birth and the date of their death and that little dash in between. And we talked about rations, everything about them is is characterized in that one little dash. Now, we do not so much do this in our day and time, but it used to be that people would put what's called an epitaph on would describe your life. Um, It would just like, you know, just very briefly, uh, this sentence just like, this is who, this is who is lying here, and this is what kind of characterizes their life. Well, today what I want to do is, as the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 is coming uh, to make a farewell address uh, to the elders at the church at Ephesus. Paul had spent three years at Ephesus, longer than anywhere else. And uh, he is now deciding it's time to go towards Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to him there. And uh, really, it's, this is the final time that Paul's going to see those at Ephesus. And he tells them that. This is the, this is the final time. Time that you're going to see my face. Uh, as a result of that, you know they just began weeping because they had. had heard, uh, that Paul doesn't die in Jerusalem, but he is eventually taken to Rome and under Nero he is executed. So these are Paul's uh, farewell wo- words to um, the elders in the church. And so I-, I want us to kind of look at these words because the title of this message is "A Light Half Lived." Because Paul begins to describe, I kind of took everything Paul says today and just put it into Paul's epitaph. This is what I would put on his tombstone, and it simply says, everything I do is because of Jesus Christ and for him. And I think this is what Paul's going to describe, and I'm going to look at kind of four statements that he makes that uh, would just capsulize his life. It's like everything I, I do is because of Jesus Christ. You remember that remember, prior to... Uh, Paul's conversion, he was called Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee, and he was a fire-breathing Pharisee who believed it was the call of God upon his life to stamp out the church, all right? So he was very much involved in the persecution of church, and of course you remember that Stephen is the, the first one in which who is is martyred, and Paul is, Saul is the one standing there holding the clothing, egging on those who are carrying out that sentence And then he has that dramatic experience on the road to Damascus in which he comes face-to-face with the resurrected Christ... And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're the Lord persecuting me. And so he says, oh, yeah, experience, God dramatically changed his life. And from that day forward, you know, the, beat, the heartbeat of, of Paul was that, you know what? I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to surrender everything that I am, all that I am, and really that. What does it look like to live in absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus? Dress. Um, there are really four characteristics that I think come to sur- the surface of a life that is well lived. That is absolutely one time by a seminary professor, as well as the entire class. He said, "Listen, you guys, uh, you're really not you're really not equipped to live until you're you're ready to die." Now, that, I thought that was kind of strange. Um, have, so, have challenged us to sit down and write our own last breath. And what is it that I want others to, to know about me or to, to say, hey, if, if, there's, if there's ever a way I was going to characterize Greg's life, this is what it would be. And he says, once you have settled that score. And so as we come to Acts 20 and Paul's last sermon, I wish that with all integrity, I, I, I could say what Paul says, and that my life has been all about what his life was about. I, I don't know that I could say that, but certainly I want, to, I want to make progress towards that. And so he's going to start in a, at this point, uh, and really he's coming down to a conclusion of his ministry. All the churches that he's going to start have been started. He's been revisiting a lot of them that he started and shoring up the foundation there. He's going to live for another 10 years after this. Statements of a life that is well lived. Well, let's pick it up. Uh, In chapter 20, we're going to skip around a little bit because the first six verses are really just his travel log. And I'm not going to bore you with that. And then uh, there is an example or an illustration from verses log. We're going to pick up the story in verse 17 of chapter 20. So from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, first day I to them, you know how I lived, the I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would, that would be both to you, but have taught you that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing uh, what will happen to me." So in these uh, first few verses, here's the first statement that I think Paul uh, makes uh, that characterizes because of Jesus Christ. Well, and it would certainly be key. here. It is. I have served you with no regard to my personal cost. I have served you with no regard to my personal cost, and it cost him dearly in order to serve doing the Lord's cause of Jesus in the way that he did. Uh, how's this going to be for me? How's this? How's this going to affect me? That was never Paul's mindset. And there's a lot of things that are going to happen to to Paul when he he, um, received the gospel to the Gentile nations. Uh, Not that he disregarded the Jews. You remember, he always went into the synagogues first, reaching out to the Jews. But then he also reached out to the Gentiles, and he was kind of the leader in that. And you'll notice in verse 18, it's kind of like, uh, this, this is an emphatic use, is when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. That word you is in the emphatic means like you yourselves know. Why? Because I was with you for three years. Now, here's what I know about people who know you. They know you, right? Like your family members. Uh, you know, we can, we can put on a false facade and, and we can put on, you know, w- whatever it is that we want others to think or see about us, but nobody knows you like your own family, right? They know all the flaws, uh, they know all of your little idiosyncrasies, uh, they know that, you know, you're just absolutely nuts, uh, at times, and so they see everything. And so he, he, is, he is basically saying to this church family, you know me, and you know me really well. I, I wasn't just like a flash-in-the-pan, one-sermon wonder. I-, I was with you, and-, and I stayed with you, and I poured myself out to you week in and week out, and I served you. He could say, I served you with no regard to my personal cost and there's not a single person who could rise up in that church and say, Oh, no, 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 Paul, it was all about you. It was always all about you. No, look what he goes on to say I serve you with great humility. Paul served with humility. Serve our children. You want to serve your children as though you are serving the Lord. Workers, uh, we want to serve our employee, employers as though we are serving the Lord. This is a, a biblical thing. It is a, it is a position of humility. I, I'm not doing this for self-service. I'm not doing this for self-gain. I'm doing this because I am working as though I am working for the Lord. That was kind of the mindset of Paul. And you say, well, Paul, how humble were you? Well, uh, man, I, I was so humble. My goodness, I'm going to tell you how humble I was. Now, you and I know that if somebody's going to say, well, let me tell you how humble I am, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not very humble. So wh- what is Paul meaning here when he says, you know, I, I served you with humility? I-, I-, I think that what he is saying is, is not talking about a humble heart, but humble circumstances. Paul was one of the most educated individuals of his day. I mean, Paul could have... Had anything done, anything he was schooled by some of the smartest guys in his day and time, he had it all going for him as a Pharisee. He could have lived a life of luxury, he could have had positions and accolades and all kinds of things, you know, said about him, but instead, he chose to give all of that up. He chose to go to the places that God called him to go, even though these were going to be very difficult circumstances and situations in his lives. Why would Paul set aside all that what could have been and probably would have been in order to serve people who were constantly, you know, like saying things about him and slandering him and going into cities where they're, they're trying to kill him and they're trying to stone him and, and all these. Why would he set all this aside for this? Because of humility. He's saying, you know what, in, in essence, I'm surrendering myself to do all that God has called me to do, and I'm going to go wherever God wants me. Man, and I'm going to go. I'm going to do. I'm going to serve without regard to my own personal cost, and it may cost me a lot. It may not. I don't know, and when he started out <laughs> walking with Jesus, he had no earthly idea all that God was going to ask of him for others, even though at times Jesus would remind him Which of you. It's about looking at others' lives and actually living with sincerity as though their needs are more important than your own. Where did Paul learn that? He learned it from Jesus himself. That's why he wrote in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 through 8 when he talked about have the same mindset as Jesus who humbled himself took on the form of a servant, set aside his God card. Why did he do all of that? So he could come and stand in our place and die in our place so that we might have relationship with this heavenly Father who loves us and created us. And so that display of humility in Christ was a display of humility in the life of the Apostle Paul. And so Jesus opened the way for billions of people to follow him into heaven for all of eternity. And who knows how many people entered into the realm of eternity because Paul was willing to serve the Lord, whatever it is that God wanted him to do. He set all of that aside in humility because he knew that the end result was that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to enter into the kingdom of God because he was willing to do that. There was a price to be paid. We... And what about you? What about me? I mean, how to our personal cost, because it always costs to serve the Lord. Amen? Does it not? It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you to serve Jesus. But if I have no regard for my own personal cost, then I'm willing to serve in humility. And here's the second thing, is Paul suffered many hardships. Notice what he says, with tears and trials I came. I mean, think about the things that happened to Paul just in the book of Acts alone. Now, you can go to 2 Corinthians and get his whole rap sheet, uh, but just in the book of Acts alone, they tried to kill him in Damascus, but he escaped, you know, when they put him in a basket and la- lowered him over the wall in Acts 9. They, they wanted to kill him in Jerusalem. They contradicted him and slandered him in Antioch. Uh, In Acts 13, um, the people turned against him in Iconium and they sought to stone him. And then later in Lystra, they actually did stone him, dragged him out of the city thinking that he was dead. And then he, they stirred up the crowds in Thessalonica, and he escaped to Berea. They, they stirred up the crowds in Berea. He escaped to Athens. And so, you know, a lot of times he's on the run for his life. They tried to get him in trouble with the Roman authorities in Corinth in Acts 18, and they slandered him in Ephesus as we're going to get to Acts chapter 19. There are a lot of things that happened to Paul in his, his journey with Jesus in serving others. It is a life well lived. Why? Because the driving force of his life was that everything I do is because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for me. And so I'm going to return that favor back and I'm going to do it for him. And I'm going to serve him by serving others in humility, regardless of the hardships that I may encounter and incur along the way. And so you'll notice in verse 21, it says that he was faithful. He says, I've declared to you, both the Jews and the Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Repentance is embracing, it is turning from our sin, and faith is embracing Christ. And so as he was sharing the gospel, it was not always a popular message, just like it is not always a popular message in our day and time. But here's what I know. And, and I have people who could come up here and testify this, about this because this is characteristic of their life. When you surrender yourself totally to the lordship of Jesus and you are absolutely open to sharing the gospel with those who need to hear, it is amazing how God will bring people across your pathway to give you the opportunity to share. See, if my mindset is, well, I'm not sure I can do that, I'm not sure I will do that, why would God bring people across your pathway if you're just going to say no, or if you're just going to keep your mouth shut? He won't. Why would He do that? But if you come with a heart that says, yes, Lord, man, if I have opportunity, I will share, I will speak, I will give the gospel as best as I can, God will bring people across your pathway. It is amazing the doors that He will open up for you. Now, as we have discovered in the book of Acts, not everyone's going to respond favorably, right? Some may turn from their sin and believe in Jesus and receive him as their Savior. Some people will just look at you like with a glassy air and say, Well, I know you're interesting, uh, but you made me think about some things, and and let me me think about that, and, and maybe we'll get back together later. There are all kinds of responses. That's not your responsibility. But if we're bringing the gospel, the whole gospel, um, to, to the plate, the second statement that he's going to bring is, is, so I have been faithful to do what Jesus asked me to do. I've been faithful to do what Jesus asked me to do. Knowing what happened to me in 22, How compelled by, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider myself worth nothing to me, if only I finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. Paul says, in spite of all the threats, in spite of all the dangers, in spite of all the things that have happened to me, all I want to do is I I want to testify about Jesus and do what he has called. Jesus' calling on our life is not just to be a nice person. Did you know that? Did you know that God didn't save you to make you a nice person? So here's what I know, because I want to be considered a a P person, so I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to have anything controversial to say. I'm not going to take a stance on anything. I'll just kind of roll with whatever, wherever the wave is going. That's, that's the wave I'm going to jump on because I, I want everybody to be a nice person. What God has called you to be is a kind person person. That is a fruit of the spirit. Do you know what kindness means? Kindness means that sometimes I need to to live in community. So if you see me heading down a pathway or in a direction that is detrimental to my life and where it's going to lead, I'm going to confront you with that and say, you know, in the love of Jesus, hey brother, do you know, do you see what you're doing? Do you see what's happening in your life? Do you see where this... You're in a small group. You need to be open and honest with one another and say, hey, somebody, I'll be able to sit down and say, you know what? I'm really struggling with this area of my life and don't have everybody say, your stuff might not be my my stuff. might not be your stuff, but we all struggle with stuff. So turn to your neighbor and say, we all struggle with stuff, right? We all struggle with stuff. The perfect image of Jesus, you're not gonna reach that state of being until you enter into heaven. We all deal with stuff. And the more open and honest we are in dealing with our stuff and our issues, the greater opportunity God has of molding and fashioning us into the image of Christ so that we can in turn not only handle our stuff, but now we can be used of God to help others handle their stuff. And so this is kind of the way God has that Paul put Jesus Christ first. There's three ways that, that Paul surrendered under the, the lordship of Jesus because um, what it is that God's called all kinds of things, but the one thing that Jesus emphasized before he ascended back into heaven is to, hey, uh, wait for the Holy Ghost to go into the earth. I want you to make disciples. All right, So making a disciple means that I'm going to help somebody you know, when faith in God, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to help them grow a baby. They come as an infant. How many of you are parents, grandparents, all right? So when a baby's born, it's an infant, what do you do with it? If you just kind of take it home and, you know, throw it in the crib and say, hey, uh, you know, uh, it's not. And yeah, when people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, brother, sister, and we got to put them out there on their own. No, we need disciples. We need people who are going to say, hey, uh, let me just take you under my wing for a, a while and let me teach you about how, how to be a toddler group. And you know what toddlers are like. I mean, toddlers are into everything, right? Okay? So um, their sin nature starts coming out and, and, you know, you thought, oh, my gosh, I thought I had an angel. Now it's a devil. Uh, what am I going to do with this child? I, uh, it's got to be like my wife's personality. It can't be mine because this is just like a mess here. And so toddlers, you know, they try to learn how to walk. They fall. They get back up. They fall. They get back up. And what do you do as a parent? Do you sit there and say to your children and, you know, like pull out the instruction, man, I told you... Walking one on one, right here you do this, 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 and this. Now get up and let's get right. No, you don't do that, and you don't do that with a new believer because they're going to stumble, they're going to fall, they're going to lapse back in their old ways, uh, you know, their old sin patterns, and it's just it's a vicious cycle. And so we have to help them navigate through that as they move into adolescence. And you know, adolescence is when you lose your. Your loving mind, uh, you know, you just like, you're like, who stole my, my kid? Uh, they're not even thinking straight anymore. And so you're helping now, you're helping this new believer to begin to form and to fashion the mind of Christ, right? And so they enter into adulthood, and by adulthood, you're taking care of yourself. And then that adult, you see the, the disciples, somebody else. You see, the purpose of the church is that we are disciple makers, we are disciple multipliers. So that we are helping people grow as they come into the kingdom of God, rather than them trying to figure it out on their own. If we didn't just thrust them out there and let them try to figure it out on their own, I, I experienced this. I mean, man, I was a new believer, and I, you know, my story. I well, the first job they gave me, they put me in with kids. I didn't even like kids, and they were fifth graders, man. Like these kids, they were like Bible thumpers. You know, they knew myself, uh, but. You know, I have no clue about what I'm doing, and, and I'm thrust into this. And let's just say it wasn't a good experience for me. So, you know, in my little mind, I thought, you know what, I'm never doing building and grounds because, you know, I, at that time I was a plumber. And, and so I said, you know what, well, I, I'll help you guys out on, you know, maintenance of the building because that was something that was comfortable for me. And that's where I was in the church. I had a long way to go in order to grow. Now, I was in a, a, a small group, you know, um. um you know, it took all of us boys who, teenage boys, and taught us week after week. And you know how it is trying to teach teenage boys. We weren't listening. We weren't paying attention. Or at least he hanging his head against the, against the wall, thinking, this is a waste of time. This is a waste of time. This is a waste of time. But uh, as I've shared before, there were several of us who came out of that class prior to that. But God used him as a tremendous witness and impact on our lives because he was faithful to do what Jesus asked him to do. To do and so here's the spirit you'll notice in verse 22, he says, Now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Like Paul is like a Holy Spirit prisoner, and he, he, he didn't want to go to Jerusalem, and uh, maybe he was even afraid to go to Jerusalem, he didn't know what was going to happen to him there. But because, all right, so I'm I say that to say this as followers of Jesus Christ. One of the most important things that we learn is how to listen to know when he's speaking, how to know when he's directing and guiding. And if you're not sure if it's the Spirit speaking, then what are the ways that you can test that impression to know whether or not to go through all that? I'm going to spend a whole series on that. But the fact of the matter is, um, you know, you have times like that in your life and, and speaks to you and Listen, when you were born into God's kingdom, he gave you the ability to hear his voice. Amen. And it's it's in my nation we don't hear the striving. It's because we're busy, 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 noise, 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 noise. And and, and so we have so much going, you know, and we're at home. We're in just in the quietness of nothingness right, where you're just, it's just you and God, and, and maybe you're in prayer, but prayer to take care of it, prayer is community, talking, and it's relationship, it is a time of speaking, but it's a time of listening, it's a time of quietness, it gives you great impressions, uh, and, and sometimes he, he may give you a vision, he may give you a, a picture, it, it might be like, when he speaks to me internally, it's amazing, he sounds a lot like you. But it's, you know it's this thing it off the page, and he, is, he is just, it's just like, man, I just know this is of the Spirit of God. And so you may hear him while you're driving down the road. We tend to think that when the Spirit oh, I've heard from the Spirit. No, he, he, can, he can alarm you. He has that comes as, and he's not in desire. It's what that word compelled. I, I, I feel compelled by the Spirit. Now, when I received the name of the Holy Spirit, never heard about that kind of sort happening in Christiansburg, Virginia, and and, and where I was and what he wanted me to do. I mean, the impression was so deep, deep impression of the Spirit that was like, you know, I I called our pastor and he came to his, his name was Reverend Crawford, and and I thought he was, but he probably wasn't, probably my age (laughs) at the time. I spoke with great wisdom, and when I, as I begin to share and unfold what was happening, it's just it's just like it's, it's the Spirit, who's calling you. It's the Spirit who's calling you, and so here's what the Spirit. We know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships. You, but if the Holy Spirit me gave me that impression, I'd like want to run right. I'd be, I'd be they're going to torture me. They're, it's going to involve some said. I chose to be I chose to follow him regardless. 24. I consider myself worth nothing if only I may. I don't want to dishonor the Lord by blowing it. I don't want to dishonor the Lord by stunt issue that's gonna forfeit my testimony and forfeit my my I don't want to just tap the accelerator. Man, I want it down to the floor to do. To finish what you've started. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I've finished the race. I kept the faith. And that's an awesome thing to do. In other words, he says, Of many who have set out in the race only to be disqualified for one reason or another. When is it hard to finish the race? Because all of us, you know, we are in this race. It's not a a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, You know, a lot of people who just like sprint out of the gate in the Christian life. And they just want to do for God. And and I get that enthusiasm. and, And I get that heartfelt passion But you have to be very careful when you have a new believer and they're so passionate about where you put them in the race because otherwise you might set them up for failure. But all of us, as we're trying to run this race, listen, as a pastor for over 30 years, I know what it means. Uh, I can feel Paul's heartbeat. Many to the church, you're ready to step out of ministry. Uh, My mind was, you know what? I can make a whole lot more money and with a whole lot less stress doing what I used to do. And it's the right time to get 10 years or less. Because it's, it's, just, it's easy, you know, you, you, and there are reasons why it's hard to finish the, the race. And here's number one, is times you get hurt, people say things, people do things, they break their promises to us, and you maybe you feel abused, mistreated, maligned by someone, and when your feelings get hurt by someone, or even your work at a job you're at, you know, there are people who really hurt you, and, and it's just like keeping after you. And so, it's, it's hard to stay in the race, Thing there's only one antidote that God has given to us, and that is the antidote of forgiveness. The choice to forgive is the choice to finish. Choice to finish. Listen, listen, listen. It's the same way in marriage, is it not? You're in relationship. Have you ever hurt one another? As a married couple, Hall is that both husband and wife a thousand times. Is going to have to forgive one another for stuff that we say, and st- no different in the work of God. Okay, it's no different in the church. Sometimes we put such expectations on people, like, hey, they go to church, they ought to be perfect. That sh- they should have never said that, and sometimes whether they should have never or unintentionally, we hurt one another. And if you're going to remain in the race, the calling of God is going to require you to choose to forgive. Pastor, if they just repent, you know, if they come crawling back to me, uh, nah, eh, that's, not what, that's not what Jesus taught. It's not what Paul taught. It has nothing to do with that. It has, And I'm not just talking about physical fatigue, although that plays a role, right? So you, many of you, you know, you work a job and you're trying to serve as much as you can. And so let's just be honest with one another. There's only so many hours in the week. There's only so many things that you can do. So, if you're the kind of person, so overextend yourself. Any, Satan understands this. He knows that if he can get you flat out physically fatigued because you can't say no to anything, it's just a matter of time before you burn out. You, you just have there's another kind of tired, more than just physical. What about the weight of life and the pressures of life? Because there are seasons you're going to go through life and doing life together, and you're trying to provide for your families, and you're trying to raise your children, and all of these things. There's a fatigue that can hit us, and when you hit that wall, the choice you need to make is to refuel, to refuel yourself. The number one reason why pastors have an affair, and those numbers continue to escalate. And the reason they begin isolating themselves is because of fatigue, and the, now all of a sudden they've just opened their heart, they've opened up their life to a lot of things That, they, and you are spent, you had better find a way to refuel yourself and don't do it in isolation all the time. You need to find somebody to help with you. In your prayer closet, yes, that's great, that's wonderful. You need to get accountability with somebody else that you can talk to, that you can pour your heart on top of all that. Listen, when you are fatigued, you need to have some fun. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Christianity thing is riding up my shoulders, man. I'm out here pounding the pavement, getting these churches going, getting these people saved and, and, and growing up in the Lord. And he could have just like, you know, I'm going to need any of us. And the moment we get that prideful to think that God can't do it without me, you're setting yourself up for a fall. And so we need to just get with people who energize you. You know, uh, <laughs> there are people who drain you. You know that, right? You you get around them and they just drain you, uh, but there are people who energize you. You need to have fun as a family. We need to have fun as a church, and so time of worship and celebrating with each other and lifting one another up and encouraging one another because we need that. We all need. Number three is when your heart is. Does that mean if you're not hundred percent for Jesus and surrendered unto His lordship and you're trying to straddle the fence? In your, in your um, a walk with the Lord, uh, that never works well, ever. All on the, on the wrong side of the fence. And so James chapter 1 talks about this. A double-minded man or woman is unstable and all the people off the tracks like a double-minded person. I love the Lord and I love my wife, but there is another woman I'm feeling attracted to. That's double-mindedness. Nothing good ever comes from that. Or, you know, I I love the Lord, I love my children, but I never spend any time with them. Uh, That's not good, right? That's that's a double-mindedness. And so Paul had this passion, and he knew he had to make some wise choices in the midst of all of this. Um, And so when you look at verse 24, he says, you know, I want to finish this race. I want to finish the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. I don't get off track. And number three, here's the. Th- I don't know about these choices. Sometimes, uh, you know, I think, you know, like many of you, if I just, you know, I'm just fatigued and, and I, you know, I'm just stressed, and it'd just be better if I just threw in the towel and walked away. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen: is that immediately you're going to feel a little bit of relief, at least temporarily, uh, but then you know, relief is going to turn to remorse, and remorse into regret. Because there's just something that God has welled up inside of you. When Paul talks about finishing the race, the marathon, every marathon runner will tell you this. I can't tell you from experience because I've not run more than a half a block. All right? So hey, am uh, walking apart from, hey, how about starting jog with me? I said, well, you know what? I can't jump in there and run 10 miles. I'll tell you how to work on it. And so a week later, I asked, well, how's it going? I said, well, I've got up to my mailbox so far, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Run with this. Right, guys. No, I don't. I, I really don't. But here's what marathoners will tell you is that you always hit the wall. You know, at some point in that wall and continue on, or am I going to stop and give up? And what, all what Paul was saying is listen, I, I have been faithful to do all that Jesus asked me to do, and every time, and I was not going to back down, and I was not going to back up. And so this is what characterized his life. There are a lot of saints of God <laughs> out of the race with the Lord. And usually if I, if I have the opportunity to sit down and talk to them, it really comes back to this surrender issue. They never really came to this in their lives, but for most of them, there was kind of a double-mindedness or a double standard where I'm going to try to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And, and make my way to what Jesus asked me to do. Therefore, I want to be faithful to the end. And I'm going to walk in double-mindedness. And if I find myself being fatigued, I'm going to refuel. Do what all I have to do in order to keep on in this race. Number three, I always told you the whole truth. I always told you the whole truth. Now I know. Verse 25, see me again. That none declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he, he bought with his own blood. I know, I know that after I, have, I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Listen, Satan's always got his... His ministers, right? Okay. There's not literal wolves. You get that. You understand them. They're going to come in with half truths and they're going to start dismantling the truthfulness of God's word. And even from your own number, miracles after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the words who are sanctified. And so Paul states right out of here, um, I, I've always told you the truth. Now, I just want to mention a statement. We're going to move on. Uh, you'll notice, if you want, if you like to write in your book, I declare to you in verse 26, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. If you, want, if you like to write in your Bible, put Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 6. This is what he's referring to. And in Ezekiel, it's basically a picture. And let's say I'm the watchman of the tower, and the tower is, is guarding the city so that if the enemy comes from the outside, I, as the watchman, I'm supposed to be watching out here. And if I see the enemy, I'm to sound the alarm so that the armies are ready to combat the enemy that's coming. Well, what happens if I'm the watchman, <laughs> but instead of watching my territory, looking for the enemy, I'm on my cell phone all night. And uh, now all of a sudden, while I'm on my cell phone playing Angry Birds, uh, here comes the enemy. And now all of a sudden they have scaled over the walls and they have, they have raged war upon us. And they're, now they're killing our soldiers. They're killing mine, right? I failed at my duty. I was to warn I I was to protect. I was to be the sounding voice. And so this is what Paul, he's saying, listen, I, I have poured everything I can into you. I've given you the whole counsel of God's word. I've given you all of God's will. I have left nothing to, I've told you the whole truth. Now it's up to you to guard that truth. Because if you don't, I'm, I'm telling you, the enemy's going to become elders, watch overseers, and shepherds over the church in order to guard the church, though, from those who will come to this church who have come with all kinds of their own teachings and have you know, sent me letters and sent me books and had conversations with me about how they, they've gotten you know, the new truth a new view over this, that, and the other and to which I have actually asked three individuals in the course of 20 years that I've been here you need to leave this church do not darken its doors you are not and so this is what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus He's who can speak for God right truth of god to your children to those around you you want to share the truth of god with people you're trying to do it with gentleness to too and but you want to do it loving but the bottom line is we have to give people the whole truth the gospel isn't built on half truths it is built on the entire truth and people need to understand that. Thirty-three. I I have not coveted anyone's silver, or gold, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And you remember, Paul was a week remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Himself, who said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." And so Paul simply bank account. I came. I worked. I worked hard among you in order. To, I I was wanting to give more than I was taking. And I've given you everything I have. I have poured himself out. He did. Now, if you were to go back in chapter 20 and verses 7 through um, uh, uh, 12, the illustration, he, he was preaching. And he began in the morning. And it was now midnight. And he's still talking. And he, but he falls and kills him, right? He's dead. And so Paul comes out, and he picks him up and, and says he's not dead, and, and God brings him back to life. Here, here's what I want you to see. He brought the guy back to life. He went back in, and it says, and, and Paul continues long on and on, the well Pharaoh address, and he wanted them to have everything. He's saying, listen, I've served you to do that regardless to my personal cost, regardless of what others have done to me, have said about me. I will always tell you the whole truth. I didn't say that you would like it, but I'm telling you the whole truth. And I gave more epitaph that everything I do is because of what Jesus has done for me. and, And because of Jesus, I do it for him. I do it for him by doing it for you. Your outline. What would you want written on your epitaph. How do you want your children to remember you? Let's remember, as always, the mortality rate is still 100%. There is some point you're leaving this earth. How do you want others to view your life? And then you say, you know what, this is really, this is what I would like for them to say. And then you start living it out. I think that's all Paul did. He said, you know what, this, when he gave his farewell address, his final words, and you know that when a person, the last time you're ever going to see them were deaths. I don't know about you, but I, that day in seminary, as I thought about that, what would I want my congregation to say about me? What would I want my friends, my kind of common family, whatever kind of life, so that it will be said of us? Man, this is family, this is they don't know they lived. Or their father, or their mother, or somebody in their family, and I try to get you know I want to make it personal. Tell me about them. What would what, what's what? How would you describe them? What was? And they just look. Our dad loved the Browns. Well, God bless him because they're horrible. You know, it's just like <laughs> they're horrible. And for many of you sitting in this church, one day I may be preaching your funeral. And for many of you, I've got an epitaph for you. If you. die, I might change it, though. So I just want to say to you as a church, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you have been a wonderful congregation. And God's going to do some tremendous things as we continue on. Let's bow our heads together.